Welcome to Holocron Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of unlimited power. We're here this week to bring you a brand new episode pulled from the depths of the Holocron. Starting off season two of the Hoopla podcast, we're here to talk about the brand new Disney Plus Star Wars show, Andor. My name's Jamie Clare, and I am joined by Jedi historian Andy Smith. Darth Smithy is here, connoisseur of many nerdy things, specifically Star Wars, the games, the books, the movies, animated TV. Let's get this going. Excited to talk about Andor. We also have everybody's favorite droid, Chris Pio. C3PIO, human cyborg relations here for you. What's up, guys? Chris here, ready to talk about this first arc of Andor. Man, this has been a really surprising and excellently crafted show. I'm here to talk about it on the pod. You can find me on socials at Apple underscore underscore Pio on Twitter, at Apple Pio on Instagram, and you can follow us at our main account, Hoopla Podcast Network, as well as to talk Andor, find us at Holocron Hoopla on both Twitter and Instagram. We'd love to engage with you guys, and thanks so much for listening. And rounding out the crew this week, we have amateur bounty hunter, Jay Claxer. This is the way. <laughs> Hello, people. How are we doing? Yes. Great to yes. speak with you again. Jake Laxer here, lover of all things TV and movies. I also do like music, in case you heard our last two podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited to dive into Andor. What a thrilling series this has been. But we're just going to cover one through three. Oh, and Black Adam, hell of a movie. Really enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Yeah, can't wait to check that movie out. Thank you all for tuning in to the first episode of Holocron Hoopla. If this is your first time joining the Hoopla, we just finished up season one talking about The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. So go back, check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Great TV show, great podcast if you want to check us out. <laughs> and here we are diving in for season two of the Hoopla podcast, entering the world of sci-fi for the Star Wars series Andor. They're releasing the show on Disney Plus in these sort of arc formats. The first arc is episode one through three, which is what we'll be talking about here today. And then the next arc is four through six. So we'll do another podcast episode coming out next week for arc two of Andor. And then we'll just continue moving on as we try to catch up with the release schedule of Andor. So thank you all for joining us. And without any further ado, let's dive into this fantastic Star Wars show. Jedi historian Andy... Can you give us a little bit of background onto where this story fits in the rest of the world of Star Wars? Absolutely, Jamie. So uh, let's think about it in terms of the original trilogy here. A New Hope, episode four, takes place in the Star Wars timeline. Everything is constructed around the Battle of Yavin. This takes place five years before the Battle of Yavin and 12 years 14 years, I just did math in my head, 14 years after Revenge of the Sith. So the Empire has been in power for 14 years, solidified control. Really, this is then the start of the rebellion that five years later after this uh, series begins, that's when we all, you know, know of the Death Star blowing up with Luke Skywalker and, and all those stories we love with Leia and Han Solo. Haven't seen it. So we're five years before kind of the, the main movie that started the Star Wars trilogy. And I'm really excited to see how they show how the rebellion has begun here. And just for our uninformed viewers, you want to explain what 5 BBY is, Andy? So BBY is when the Death Star blows up. That's the Battle of Yavin. There it is. This is five years right before that moment. Nice. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen a movie that came out in the 70s. But <laughs> the Death Star <laughs> does indeed blow up. <laughs> That's What true. a shot. What a shot, Luke. 
Hell of a shot. Use the force. So I'm really excited that we get to get into a little bit more of the characters' backgrounds that build up the beginning of the Rebel Alliance and lead us to all these wonderful stories that we get in the future. Getting a little bit deeper dive to Cassian Andor specifically, who we met in Rogue One, but we didn't learn too much about his backstory. So now we're going to get a whole TV show about what led him to joining that team in Rogue One. Well, we did learn that he was in this fight since he was six years old and... You know, we do get a fun little timeline starting with Cassie and Andor in this series, don't we? So starting off there, Jake, I do you think that that was a like was he six years old in those flashback sequences? He seemed a little bit aged up from there. He looked like a ten to twelve year old to yeah, me. Yeah, I, I, don't I know. agree. I agree. He had already been in the fight for a few years. Yeah, I mean, he's a Canarian. Who knows how old they are? Oh no, we lost our droid. <laughs> our droid is malfunctioning. We just lost the C three PIO. But we'll carry oh, on. Oh no. We'll keep pushing through, hoping that our droid gets back online. <laughs> he powered down like B2 Emo. <laughs> if anyone is at home having droid issues, just unplug it, plug it back in, and hopefully it'll work. <laughs> and in the meantime, oh, there he is. He's back. <laughs> Fully charged and ready to roll. It was easy. <laughs> yeah, so we do get some flashbacks to Casa was his name in Canari and kind of the events that led up to him leaving his home planet of Canari and getting separated from his sister, which is where we first meet Cassian Andor in episode one as he's looking for his sister. And then we get a kind of brutal scene that I honestly wasn't expecting when he leaves this brothel in kind of the shady part of town and Morlana one, and he gets approached by these police officers, accidentally kills one as they get into a bit of a scuffle, and then just straight up murders another one, which was truly unexpected for me. I really appreciated how that opening sequence mirrored the opening for Cassian in Rogue One, where on Kafreen in cold blood murders a, a rebel informant and they immediately pull that over into the opening sequence of the Andor series is him killing these two in cold blood while they are starting to rough him up he murders that last corpo are we presumed to believe that those are his first two kills I was kind of left under that impression after we saw that scene initially but hell of a headbutt <laughs> in the reverse direction straight up murders a guy <laughs> with the back of his skull honestly impressive Something you'd expect to see from the protagonist of our story. To be fair, this was the first time we've seen a brothel in Star Wars, so this is kind of exciting, and they're sort of exploring <laughs> an adult world uh, with Andor and... Jesus. My God, we are in a galaxy far, far away, aren't we? Well, I think it's a combination of the things you guys have said so far. It is a dark world. This is a new, mature world, and it's similar to to mirror what we talked about on the entire last season of Hobbit Hoopla. This is a dark world. This is not your father's Star Wars. This is something that has changed. And we're exploring, like Andrew mentioned, that timeline. We're exploring this in-between period of unrest, of uncertainty. This isn't a high fantasy world where the hero always saves the princess and mm -hmm. destroys the bad guy. That's the original trilogy. It's a story we love. But before that, the Empire had to start somewhere. And this is that gritty before period. We're seeing shows like Mandalorian explore this time period. We're, we're seeing uh, video game properties like the Jedi Fallen Order, the Purge, and everything that happens with the Jedi. In this mm. show, we're getting a very grounded in reality, just trying to survive. It's, it's people working in these brothels. It's these corpos and the police brutality commentary. It, it's, it's really impressive to see them take on this challenge. And so far, I think they're doing a good job. I agree. 
agree. I like how they're vi- how they're visually actually displaying it on screen immediately in that opening sequence where uh, Cassian is kind of walking down this alleyway. It's it's raining. It's dark. You see in the background of the scene kind of different police units over top the city. Like you mentioned, dark, gritty, almost post-apocalyptic in some ways. And it it just kind of, it immediately tells you, this is the type of series we're talking about here. And then obviously he walks into a brothel, then kills two of these guards. And it almost was reminiscent of Solo to me in a few regards uh, in that context. Uh, They even have the same hounds, the little pig hounds that uh, we see at the beginning of Solo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's dark. You have these ominous sort of sequences, and you know he gets chased down, and and it's a good initiation for the start of our story. Yeah, I think it's a great way to really get the story going very quickly, and we get this immediate dive into him. Now he's on the run, right? He starts out, he's just looking for his sister. And then this accident happens, accident in quotes, as he just straight up murders a police officer. (laughs) But now the Primor security is now searching for this unknown Canary man who killed the police officers on Morlana 1 and has now escaped to his new home planet of Ferrix, which is where we meet some of these other wonderful new characters who are trying to help him kind of hide and escape. Uh, We meet his adopted mother, Marva. Andor, who we get to learn a little bit more about as the show goes on, and we meet his friend Bix. His best friend, B2 Emo, <laughs> is yes. the best, the best, the best character in the series so far. A- 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 Andy, good, 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 good call. <laughs> we meet Brasa, we meet Nurchi and, and Vetch, who are just uh, really sideline characters who played good parts, but they help to flesh out Andor's immediate universe. It, To me, it doesn't feel like this is the first time he was on the run, and and it certainly isn't the last. We know that Mm -hmm. for sure. But they start us off, you know, in the works. I mean, they're striking right away while the iron is hot with this writing sequence. And we meet some of these characters who, Jamie, you said it, that, that are trying to help him. I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I mean, they don't want any harm to come to him and will help him if he gets into a spot of trouble. But every character that sees him in this first arc is kind of just like, oh, what do you need? Is something the matter again? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's fair. (laughs) That is a great point. Cassian is trying to make them help him, I suppose. And they are kind of doing what they can to not hurt him. It's almost a community where one person in trouble is everyone in trouble. Mm -hmm. For instance, Broad who is one of the, his worker friends said calm down come back to work put your gloves on mm-hmm. stop doing all this he essentially pushes brazo into helping his alibi and brazo takes it because andor's a, or cassian is a part of his community yeah Brazo's even you know re- repeating back to him exactly what andor's theorized storyline was and so and was oh, like yeah. yeah yeah of course of course that's exactly what happened and so it's nice to see these characters sort of sticking you know sticking out their backs for one another and we evidently see that when they start clamoring on the different shackles or, you know, yeah. chimes yeah. to uh, inform everyone that, you know, security is inbound because all these people are in it together, you know. When security from 
Who is inbound? Primor. There's another side to this Andor universe. Yeah, we get introduced to our first main antagonist of the show, Cyril Karn, who is an officer with Primor Security, who is not going to accept the fact that these two officers were murdered on Morlana 1 a few days ago, and he's pushing everybody within this organization to continue to search for the man who killed his officers, while there are some other lieutenants and, and higher-ups within this organization that just kind of want to brush it under the rug, kind of ignore it. Cyril Karn says, no, we got to figure out who this is. They eventually get a tip that there's a Canari man matching the description of the murderer on Ferrix, and they come down with good old Sergeant Mosk leading the way, <laughs> bringing their troop of Primo security officers to search out Andor. And that's when we get everybody in the, in the town kind of banding together and clanging on these things to give it this really like ominous feel, this these 12 primo officers are coming into this town and every single person in this town is against them. The background of this security force is really interesting to me. It expands the world. Like Star Wars is world building. George Lucas created a galaxy of so many different stories. And thinking about the Empire, Morlana 1, Ferrix, all of these outer lying systems, they're not under control of the Empire. The Empire can't control yeah. so many systems across the galaxy, so they've hired on these corporations to essentially monitor and rule these different sectors. It's so interesting because obviously Morlana 1 is kind of maybe their, their headquarters, and they don't really have too much power over, say, a Ferrix. But it is interesting to see how the whole galaxy is run mm -hmm. just through this one specific storyline with Andor. Mm -hmm. And you could imagine that this is the same thing across all of these outer lying systems as well. You began to touch on something, Andy, that I actually really enjoy about this show. I have to admit, the fact that they intertwined politics so much into Andor, I think makes this actually an even more exciting show than it's made out to be. Because this is a, it is really exploring a portion of Star Wars that is primarily really only seen in the novels. And so, you know, we even begin to see that for the first time with Chief Hine in episode one. And he goes on about, should we bring this up? You know, the importance of these meetings is brevity when we're discussing any formal matters in regards to crimes that are involved in the sector because if you stir the pot you get the empire involved and that creates a whole lot of work for everyone involved in the organization working in government <laughs> i i see this perspective uh -oh. be careful I, now <laughs> <laughs> careful careful jakey i'm that's all i'm gonna say I, I, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's as far we'll bleep that whole thing out. <laughs> for, for the safety of everyone. I, I see the point you're making there, Jake. Yeah, but, but it is very interesting because it does, it does lead to this whole a domino effect of paperwork for everyone that's involved, right? And so Cyril, played by Kyle Soller, does an incredible job of, you know, he's committed he wants to do the deed of following you know the orders given down to him and he wants to climb the ladder he definitely personifies that empire role that we see yeah throughout multitudes of characters whether it's tarkin or whether it's mm -hmm. uh the i'm i'm blanking on on the blue guy uh grand Admiral thrawn <laughs> thank you grand thrawn yeah i was blanking on thrawn thank you but yeah, we see this through a myriad of characters all throughout Star Wars, but he fully embodies it, and, and it's it's fun to see him sort of grow into this role and be kind of an asshole to everyone, so... Uh, <laughs> but he crushes it. He, he crushes it. And... <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see 
how his perspective changes after the events of episode three of, of Andor, as we'll talk about in a few minutes here, but he seems to be very shook by the end of that fight scene. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm interested to see how his, maybe his allegiance will change, or maybe he will double down on his efforts. Uh, we'll get to it after we talk about what actually happens, but he's a very interesting character. I'm excited to see where he goes. Yeah. I really enjoy the way that they're portraying this dyad, if you will, the dyad, not in the force, but with the Empire. <laughs> we've got we've got shows like Star Wars Rebels, which if you haven't seen Rebels, absolutely go watch it. Uh, if you, you know, if you haven't explored the animation side of Star Wars yet, it's about that time. And, and we'll get to that, you know, maybe in some future episodes of Holocron Hoopla. But when talking about Andor and specifically when talking about the antagonist, the general antagonist, it's not necessarily the empire yet. It's it's not so much this conceptual thumb ruling with an iron fist that's always there. We see that in other shows like Rebels. We see that in, again, the video game properties where the empire is just, oh, the empire, it's a collective. That's not this yet. We still have this essence of independence. It's almost like the Primor security company is being contracted by the empire. We know that, that might not stick around for very long, and who knows how much that's happening across the galaxy, but I just really enjoy how they worked that in because it's a very fat and happy, you know, sitting on our ass, not doing anything. Uh, let's push this report till Monday type of style from the Primor security, mm-hmm. whereas we know the empire from past media properties to be very strict, very very punctual. And then we start to see that with Cyril and the rest of that team. So it's a really cool mix to see both sides of that, uh, because usually the enemy is just the big bad empire. That's why I think it's so interesting to see the leader of the Primor security just say, no, let's make up a story and make sure the empire does not get involved. Because what we'll see in later episodes is when the empire gets involved, this fascist organization will take over and do terrible yeah. things. It's almost a self-preservation by Primor security to right. just, uh, let's push this over here. But someone like Cyril, who is so... Uh, Gung-ho. He's going to go after this, right. even though he is going against his command. Yeah. Um, he's going to find Cassie and Andor, uh, and he's going to find that that's his downfall and the downfall of his entire corporation. Right. And let's see if Cassie Nindor can escape the clutches using the first MacGuffin of the show. We get the big, (laughs) mighty, powerful star path unit with some incredible abilities to trace every ship in the galaxy or something. Who knows? It's untraceable, (laughs) but every... I don't... Someone please explain to me what the star path (laughs) unit is. Well, (laughs) Andrew might have a little more to this as far as... What I know, I mean, a lot of ships that come from the Empire have very strict security codes, clearances, and, you know, to travel at light speed and to travel in certain, uh, what am I trying to say, the paths, the paths way, the star paths. Well, yeah, the star paths. There's there's hyper, hyperspace hyper, lanes. Hyperspace yeah, lanes. there's there's uh, hyperspace lanes. Thank you. Oh, I just learned something there. That's exciting. I'm glad I listened to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, everybody <laughs> tune into the Holocron Hoopla podcast and you'll um, learn everything. It's a good thing to point out because, you know, the Empire is building up this full force. And for that, if you're going to expand over the entire universe, you're going to need some clearance. So 
this tick goes back to you know the original trilogy when they have to you know steal a code and and we get the admiral on the star destroyer that says it's an old code sir but it checks out this is all empire <laughs> clearance this is empire security and having that star path unit that's untraceable undetectable and knows those hyperspace lanes is a very valuable asset well said you get the well, thumb of approval from shoot. the jedi historian himself <laughs> <laughs> nice well thank you very much sure. but it's a key talking point you're exactly right as the as the arc progresses and we introduce uh, someone that comes to see Cassian. I thought it was so interesting that while, yes, it was this thing. We, so Cassian has a conversation with Bix in her, her work with Tim. Like, in the shop, in the her engine shop. Um, oh, my God, Tim. Tim. Oh, we haven't even Tim. talked about Tim. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, we'll talk about Tim. Oh, we will we'll talk, talk about Tim. I don't want to talk about Tim. <laughs> Bix, Bix actually immediately, she clearly has this like long-standing relationship with Cassian where she knows immediately when he says oh get the contact here i need to talk to the contact and she said wait how long have you had this are you just saving it what what trouble are you in she immediately like you can see how perceptive she is as a character mm. in that first scene she reads him and kind of like says fine i'll 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 reach out to luthan we know andor does some sketchy shit he owes the one guy money he's working on the ship of the other guy in the in the junkyard he does yeah. he does some sketchy things to make his way through the universe and you know we've seen other characters do that too again i said solo earlier he's kind of like a solo character he kind of just yeah, makes his is. way it's exhilarating to watch and he definitely is at this point we see him in rogue one he'll do anything for the rebellion right like anything for the rebellion but this at this point in his arc it seems more like he'll do anything for himself to get ahead right sure and i'm excited to see what specific events potentially in that arc too right what propels him forward get him to that moment of being oh wait it's more than myself luthan says it to him right he's like let's fight these bastards like don't do this just for yourself we all hate the empire star wars usually has that trope it's that oh that that hero character that's introduced to provide a spark but that's what we want especially in this gritty and dark universe we we need a spark we need someone to tell cassian hey you're skilled you're talented but more importantly you've got heart Come do this for real. Come do this on a bigger scale. And and Luthen's a great character, but uh, Skarsgård is just fantastic. Oh, my God. He's so good in this show. It's insane. Yeah, we've only got to see Luthen show up for just episode three so far right. in this first arc. Right. When Cassian is trying to just sell this Starpath unit for... 40,000 credits or something an absurd amount steal. of money what a stale then we get to see Luthen start to kind of pull Cassian towards supporting the the rebel alliance and then we get a really cool fight scene as this warehouse that they're hiding in trying to make this little deal gets surrounded and then Luthen blows up the door these things that are hanging from the ceiling just start crashing down just huge like two ton chunks of metal just falling yeah. and swinging on chains that was a really, really cool scene. Yeah, it was awesome. Always make an exit strategy on your way in. Hell yeah, that was dope. Yeah. When they came out with uh, announcing Andor, they promised kind of a spy thriller. And in that scene, the way that Luthen had, you know, his exit strategy, his entrance strategy, a contingency, you're like, this is the spy thriller that we've been asking <laughs> right. for. This is awesome. Yeah, like the, that whole situation was entirely planned out by Luthen, regardless of how it panned out, you know? And then we see the exact same thing with him having plans on top of plans. When they make the escape out of that warehouse and are trying to get out of the city, they send that mm-hmm. speeder into the middle 
of the city getting shot out by all these security officers. The security officers take out the speeder, flips over. They realize that no one's inside. Cassian and Luthen escape on their own little bike mm-hmm. out into the desert. And then, boom, blow up the decoy speeder, killing like pretty much every security officer that was in town. Mm-hmm. I also want to allude to the fact that Brasso like loops yeah. a- almost like a, a Hoth you know, the snow speeder blo- explosion scene. He loops it to a cable and then it explodes in the shipyard. I don't know. I don't know if this is just me. You mentioned Fallen Order earlier, Chris. Yeah. Could yeah. could we see a Cal Kestis in a future similar scene? Is the timeline is the timeline sort of on point there? So I'm glad you brought that up. Because we see a shipyard at the beginning of Fallen That's Order it. and this yeah. is very similar. Yeah. This is very similar. So I'm glad you brought that up. So this is, if and for any listeners that aren't aware or aren't into video games as much as myself here, and, and, and of course, a bunch of the hoopla, croopla, but uh, Fallen hoopla. Order is a, uh, is a video game series that's from Respawn Entertainment. It's, it's only been uh, one game so far, but another one is in development. We know that for sure. Oh, I can't it wait. It follows the story of a fallen Jedi, uh, Cal Kestis, who has become a bit of an interesting character in the Star Wars universe as we explore this kind of 30 years between the the prequel trilogies and the original trilogy. Cal Kestis is a Jedi on the run ever since Order 66 for those Star Wars Another fugitive. Another fugitive. And, And it just plays into the fact that, you know, we are watching Andor be on the run pretty much all the time. Jake, it's possible. I, I don't know if the timeline matches up perfectly. Um, you're right about the shipyard, and I thought the same exact thing, because what we see from the video games is that Cal, a Jedi on the run from the dark side, is working in a shipyard, just trying to stay undercovers, trying to be out of the way. And we do see a shipyard of uh, taking apart old ships from past mm-hmm. Republic battles, or, or past Empire battles, and putting them together. People are working the junkyard, and and that's what Cal does when hiding in the Jedi Fallen Order video games. So it's possible Cal Kestis may be introduced into this universe very soon. It's possible that we just don't see him at all. So I, I like the idea. I don't know if it's going to stick. Is this our first opportunity for theory music? Oh, yeah. Holocron, who Drop to Jake. theory music. We need a real good theory to be the first We'll have theory. a better one. Oh, this is a real good theory. We've already seen a lot of future episodes, so it's hard for us to have theories without just true. spoiling everything. But <laughs> That's true. You know? That's a great point. <laughs> it's hard to have theories if you know the future. One thing I want to tell the, the crew boy here is I wrote down in my notes... What is Star Wars without at least one Star Cruiser junkyard? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Every movie is going to have at least one junkyard. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they had to throw that one in there. Once again, the environment on Ferrix mm. almost rose up against the Primor security officers. Every single person starts clanging on the drums that Brazo and his men rig up the in the junkyard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the moment when Marva is talking to the two security guards in her living room, it, she says, this is a reckoning. And then at that moment... The title of episode three. Oh, is yeah. it? Okay. So it, it shows the, the town and then all the clanging goes silent. And at that moment, the Primor security guards realize what danger they're actually oh, yeah. in. Oh, that and I was thought that sick. was such a, a cool moment that this entire planet is, once again, Cassian does his own thing, but they're still going to protect him. Right. 
And I just think that's a really interesting, that's what you have to do in this type of situation with the Empire and in this kind of post-apocalyptic world almost. Yeah, you have to give a lot of credit to the directing team as well as the writers yeah. to this show because they, it, you could tell they've done their homework. The director for the first three episodes, Toby Haynes, crushed it. Uh, I thought he did a great job for you know the exposition of of this story. But Tony Gilroy also worked with George Lucas to make this you know the writing happened again. Same deal. You know I talked about one little Easter egg earlier. I'm going to talk about another one that I really enjoyed at the beginning of episode three, Reckoning. We see a shot from the top of the pillar in which Bix communicates. Very reminiscent of when we see Jin Erso climbing out of her hidden outpost yes. in Rogue One. Um, uh, again, yeah. another little cinematic thing that you know that I always love <laughs> love to point out. But I thought that was <laughs> that was a great little little Easter egg for the fan base. Well, you're right, Jake. Like all throughout the series, Tony Gilroy was the one that brought Rogue One to life, and he was the one that they signed on for this series. And it's the same world. It is connected so much, like from a visual perspective, but also kind of the writing perspective as well. Tony Gilroy needs to get a lot of credit for this first arc, as well as the remainder of the series, but really being able to flesh out a universe really quickly. Some critics thought that maybe the first two episodes were a little slow, but I thought they were almost so well crafted and it, it built up to this third episode Absolutely. that was just incredible. And without mm -hmm. that kind of slow burn, it, it was a great thing that they did release three episodes at once. So we could get right in and watch, kind of watch them sequentially and really everyone understands, okay, here's all the characters, now let's go. Yeah, I think that was actually a good good point on in terms of like the production team to release the first arc to sort of jumpstart the show. Because if they did this episode by episode from the get-go, I'm not sure it would have been as hooking for the audience. But yeah, you're, sure. that was that. I mean, that's a good call. In my opinion, episode two was definitely a little boring if you just view it as only episode two by itself sure. because they're just building things up introducing characters introducing the world of canari which we should talk about here for a little bit yes. is you know we see these this like tribe of children living on canari who are seemingly the only people left on that entire planet and we find out maybe in episode three that there was a mining accident that the Empire claims happened in Canari and has become an unsafe place for anybody to live. And then we see that Marva actually showed up in Canari at some point and was scavenging through one of these old ships is where she found Kassa uh, and adopted him. What do we think Marva was up to? What was she doing on Canari? So we know that from Rogue One that Cassian was on the side of the Separatists. Right. And presumably Marva and Clem, who was her, I guess, husband, that's not confirmed husband, but presumably her husband on the ship with her, were evading the Republic. So I'm assuming they are scavenging separatist types that are trying yeah. to go and get to steal some... those power core things. Yeah, the power That's cores. exactly what I was under the assumption of, that they were trying to steal those as well. Just anything to try and undermine the Empire or the Republic. They're able to then bring on that kid as another separatist which is so interesting right in the star wars universe the separatists are the bad in <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 prequels right but really they're part of the rebellion against the empire because the republic turns into the the empire right so it, it's so interesting to weave these small details together. yeah that is that is kind of interesting to i'm also a nerd yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that is interesting to see how those sort of feed into one another um, because it does give another light to the Separatists now, right? It makes it all the more exciting and makes you want to see and sort of explore that foundation or that, you know, mentality of the story. What did you guys from the scenes with the kids, did you like kind of relate those to any other properties? Obviously, there's kind of the Lord of the Flies is, is an easy, <laughs> is a quick one that everybody probably thought of. Mm-hmm. But is there any like other key things that you picked out? I'll admit something live on pod here. I didn't notice that it was... I, I noticed that we followed children for the scenes and that it was, you know, an origin story for Cassian and, and clearly to introduce his sister who he's still looking for, which, by the way, we need to talk about that, you know, towards the end. Sure. Do we think we're going to find her? But... For the kids, I'll admit live on pod here that I I didn't know that there weren't parents there. I I mean, you guys kind of solidified it for me. I guess I really wasn't thinking, but yeah, you're right. It was just kids there, and it must have been from that mining accident. I mean, I don't know why or how, and I don't think we're going to get any more Canari scenes going forward in the other arcs, but I don't know. I it, The Lord of the Flies thing, yeah, certainly, but... This is more of a survival parallel for the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, the reach of the Empire is just ever foreboding, so... Yeah, do we think that his sister is going to be some main overarching character? I mean, that would be a kind of interesting... Theory music. Theory music. Oh, that's Here a we good go. theory. That's a she theory. totally could If we're be. ready to talk if, about if it. If we are talking about it, I mean, shoot, I, I think that would be very interesting if she was... She was an overarching antagonist that we end up meeting later on in the series though an be... antagonist yeah okay theory music are you ready if we're gonna talk about it give me my theory music all right let's see what you got crimp oh, what is it i think it's it's an obvious theory so don't give me too much credit but i think it is going to happen i think that she's gonna end up on the side of the empire in the final episode oh. and then we know yeah. there's going to be an Andor season two to talk about the show conceptually yeah. uh there yeah. is going to be a season two written in by mostly the same style. I think they're going to do the arcs again. Nothing's confirmed for sure, but they are filming uh, starting, I think, here in the later parts of November, right? That's right. So we know that's coming, and we know they're going to get right back into it. So I'm, I'm curious to see, but I think, yes, I think Cassian's sister ends up on the side of the Empire, and we get that that first ever parallel between dark and light between a brother and a sister. That's never happened before, right? <laughs> that has never happened. Not never even happened. once. Star Wars. Oh man, that's actually a great, that's a great theory, Chris. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think it's a little obvious to point out, but I think it fits this universe because going into season two, we're going to need that defining line. We still have that pre-more company. They're not quite the empire. The empire is reaching out far, but you can still steal from them. You can still rise up as a community. Once we get that solidifying antagonist for season two and to fully realize that it is a contrast of our hero and or... That's going to be a turning point. Great theory. I was wondering, and I, I kind of, I like the idea, that idea, Chris. I was wondering almost, would she end up being a part of one of these rebel cells? And maybe that is maybe. what drives him to fully, and we'll talk about what happens in the second arc that kind of maybe pushes him that Spoiler way. Spoiler music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like drives him to fully become invested in the, the rebel alliance. Do we have Spoiler music? <laughs> We will. <laughs> no, because we don't give spoilers. We've that's, never spoiled. That's true. I'm very excited to see how everything goes uh, with him moving forward. Ah, man, if we get to meet his sister in an antagonistic form, that would be incredible. I'm yeah, in. Very that, Chris, that would you be should hype. start writing Star Wars TV shows. 
How do we get you into the <laughs> you writer's fan, room for season two? Any fan scripts? <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> uh, no, no fan scripts, just fanfic. All right, good enough, good <laughs> enough. Yeah, so a great first arc of Andor. As we talked about before, I'm glad that they released it all at once so we could watch all three of those episodes, which really were all just building up to Cassian leaving Ferrix to potentially join this this newfound rebel alliance with Luthen. Can't wait to see where everything goes. I need you for a job, you son of a bitch. I'm in. <laughs> Just to clarify, though, there isn't a rebel alliance at this point. This is before the alliance has been kind of constructed. Just rebels out there trying to stick it to the Empire. Rebels without an alliance. <laughs> rebels without an empire. New band name called it. <laughs> you can have it. That is actually a good band name. Our first song could go like this. Do, 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 do. Okay, never mind. <laughs> there's the spoiler music right there was there any blue milk sightings in episodes one through three I'm, there were blue noodles sure. there were blue oh, noodles there were blue noodles, there were blue noodles. Yeah. yes the empire staff the security officer eating on the job i noticed yeah. that that was great just a regular old noodle box that you would see here on earth they <laughs> yeah. didn't come up with any more creative food containers nah not that I'm judging, but I mean, <laughs> we don't need to sell another thing at Galaxy's Edge. Like, come up with a new food in the show so they can sell us a $40 noodle box. Hey. <laughs> Mel Brooks. At least it wasn't a Starbucks coffee cup getting left Mel in the Mel Brooks scene. said it best in Spaceballs. Merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> you could get the Spaceballs t-shirt, the Spaceballs, the Spaceballs lunchbox, the flamethrower. Jake. We're not talking about Spaceballs. Tune in next week should. for Spaceballs Hoopla when we sell out. Man, that'd be a great episode. Yeah, let's go around and let's let's get everybody's final thoughts on the first arc of Andor, episodes one through three. As we do with every season of the Hoopla podcast, we rate the episodes for the Holocron Hoopla podcast. We'll be rating these episodes on a scale of one to order 66. So, starting with you, C3PIO, what are your final thoughts on this arc, and how would you rate it? This was an excellent arc. Not a whole lot happened. I think, obviously, we're going to get a bigger purpose out of Cassian going forward. We know that eventually in Rogue One, he has one of the biggest purposes, if not the biggest, in the Star Wars universe. So, it's only build-up, and this arc was an excellent build-up. Great character introductions, although some of them I don't necessarily care about. Unfortunately, we do have to run eulogy music for Tim, and we'll get that yeah. thrown in there thanks to our uh, good editor, oh, Jake. But overall, uh, this arc was a really good way to bring us back into this timeline, this, this kind of 30, 35-year period in between two of the major trilogies from the Scarwalker saga. I really enjoyed the introduction of Andor again. Diego Luna is on form and just exactly how the character should be in these prequel years as we get into his major storylines. So uh, everything that was done here is excellent. I'm going to go ahead and give it a 52 out of 66, out of order 66, a 52. Uh, it's a good rating here for me to start out. I'd like to see where they take this, but a lot of the character direction was excellent to start out. And again, I got to say, Stellan Skarsgård, I mean, just wow. He's only a little bit in this arc so far, but he's already on screen making an impact. Small correction here, 19 years is uh, between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Ooh, I'm not being so particular. I'm just, I, just historian, call, baby. I just wanted to call it out. Just a quick call out. 
That's fine. Beautiful. That might be the highest grade Chris has given on anything really good ever yeah. in the history That's of the really Hoopla Podcast. Honestly, oh I'm impressed. <laughs> Someone had their blue milk this morning. <laughs> Stay away from my ratings. Hey, I love it. I love the rating. Um, Jake, what did you think? For me, I thought Andy said it best. I'm going to quote him verbatim. This was a slow burn, the beginning of the show, episodes one through three. They needed to set up what they had to. Um, they had to introduce characters. I felt that it was... It took me a while to fall into the world of Andor so far, but um, eventually I enjoyed the action sequence at the end of episode three. Um, at this given moment, I'm probably going to give this a 48 out of 66, and I was looking forward to seeing what was ahead. And again, this is sort of how this works with these early release episodes. Anytime a series drops a set, take Rings of Power, the first two episodes, which I don't know. Chris probably gave a 72 for <laughs> out of 111. <laughs> but my point is, this is a perfect setup to what's to come. And I enjoyed it. It was, it was entertaining, to say the least. So 48 out of 66. Execute order 66. <laughs> and what about you, Jedi historian? So I enjoyed these three episodes a lot. I thought, I mean, like Jake just mentioned there, the first two were kind of slow in some parts, but I just love the dialogue between the various characters. It's such a well-written show. Like, once again, Tony Gilroy, he is someone I hope is around Star Wars for a long, long time. Yes. Even these this first arc seems so grounded. Like, it was a right. more believable, realistic, but at the same time, it still felt like Star Wars. You knew that you immediately knew you were in this world, um, and I'm all about the world building understanding more about the corporations and how it you know relates to the empire and and then you have these working class people and how do they get to interact with each other in, in star wars it's just a little bit different of a view i did think the endings to each episode were a little bit sudden it really was one full arc diced yeah. up into three parts mm -hmm. was a little odd but once again the the ending with luthan you mentioned it chris the skellen skarsgård is such a good actor uh, and knowing what he does in the future, I want him to be a staple in the Star Wars universe. He does seem like someone that'll meet his end probably at some point during the series. Uh, theory music. Theory, Ooh, theory, theory right music. There. Theory the music. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, but I, once again, like I, uh, I'm actually going to give this a 45 out of Order 66. Hoopla. All right. All right. Pretty consistent score around <laughs> the, the Hoopla group giving... this week. Chris is giving the highest rating. Wow. This is the only time Chris has given the highest grade in the history of the Hoopla podcast. <laughs> Which is like eight episodes, by the way. It's not yeah. like the largest hey, sample in size. In the long, long history of the Hoopla podcast. I'm wearing podcast. a Star Wars yeah. shirt. I'm drinking out of a Star Wars mug. I love Star Wars. That's true. He is rocking the Star Wars shirt and the Star Wars mug, so of course he's going to give it a high grade. Holocon Hoopla has been alive since 1977. Thank you, George. <laughs> Everybody, we were the first ever podcast. Go back and listen. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat everything because I agree exactly with what Jake and Andy said, and Chris as well. Foundational oh, series. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I just don't agree with your score, but that's fine. <laughs> um, I think what I'm, I'm just excited to see where the series goes from here. It was a, a good start, but I think it's just setting us up for a fantastic rest of the season. So. I'm going to give it a little bit on the low side. I'm going to go with a 40 out of order 66. Whoa. This first arc, but Look I cannot me. wait to let that score grow higher and higher as the series continues. So 
Everybody tune in next week. We'll be talking about episodes four through six, the second arc of Andor. Before we close out this episode, let's turn it over to Chris for our Star Wars meme of the week. This week's meme of the week comes from Ray in episode seven of the Skywalker saga. I've never seen this much green in the whole galaxy. And that is brought to us because right now the Powerball is up to $1.6 billion. <laughs> so if you're not credits? a gambler, uh, not credits. This is real life money in our real world, which is a lot of green in our galaxy. So uh, if, if you're not a gambler, uh, definitely stay away from it. But if you've ever considered winning the lottery, now might be the time to play. Hoopla, everybody put all your life savings into the lottery. Holocron Hoopla does not condone putting all of your savings into the lottery. How many NS9 Starpath units can you buy with 1.6 billion? Yeah, let's go to Cantabite, people. Let's, let's gamble. What would the bit. Empire tax that at? Oh my gosh, at least 45%. 66%. I would say 48 out of 66%. <laughs> oh, beautiful. And now, as we end every episode of the Hoopla podcast, it is time for the moment of highest hoopla. What do you have for us this week, Andy? As Marva said in episode three, that's what a reckoning sounds like. As we do with every season of the Hobbit Hoopla. Oh shit! Hoopla! I Hoopla! fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got him! We got him! <laughs> no! That'll be a great ending bit. Take him out. <laughs>